0: Mud Stories, episode 45.
1: You Your see floods my tired soul As you lift me out of my muddy hole You wash me up with your sweet grace And you lead me to a safer place again But you
2: will see, if you trust, I see where I grew to know the Lord in ways I would have never met Him in any other circumstance. I saw His faithfulness and His provision in ways I never knew. Let me tell you something. No woman ever dreamed of being the stepmother. We all want to grow up and be the princess, but the stepmother can be the princess. But it's not to her husband, and
3: it's not with the children it's to the Father in Heaven. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone.
0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. Today I have a real sweet treat for you. My friend Diane Bailey is here to share with us a bit about her mud and how to handle some of our own as well. Now you may have noticed that my voice is a little more raspy today and I am fighting a cold, but I just wanted you to hear this wisdom from Diane Bailey. And so I'm going to Big grace from you as I go ahead and record this intro and outro. And I can't wait. I'm so excited to share with you all the the wisdom Diane has to offer. Diane is a writer, blogger, and life coach who resides in the deep south with her husband. And some of Diane's favorite things include fried okra, gumbo, any day at the beach with her family, and overindulging her three grandchildren on a regular basis. Now, as a blended stepfamily, Diane and her husband have successfully raised four children to adulthood. And based on her experience, Diane has written an ebook entitled 30 Days to a Better Step Family, all with the desire to help anyone out there who either is experiencing or knows someone who is experiencing the issues of remarriage, a blended family, or step parenting of any kind. So in this episode, Diane and I discuss her MUD story, how it began, including domestic violence issues, divorce single parenting, and then we go on to discuss dating and remarriage and the issues that surround a blended family. Diane shares wisdom and insight about remarriage and step-parenting, and I think she provides lots of tips and strategies that really all parents can apply. So, Diane is just warm and charming. And based on her experience, I really think she lends a perspective that is so very wise. And it's my hope that no matter what you're facing today, Diane's words would be an encouragement to you. Enjoy.
3: Hi, Diane. Welcome to the Mud Stories Podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Jackie, for asking. Oh, I'm so thankful you agreed to join me today. And I'd just love it if you would take a moment and tell us a little bit about your family, yourself, where you live, and what you love to do. All right. Well, I'm Diane Bailey. I live in the Deep
2: South in South Central Alabama. I have two birth children, two stepchildren, three grandchildren. One is a stepchild and two are birth to my daughter. I am married to an amazing man who just has (laughs) the sweetest heart. We have a dog, Charlie, and a cat called Little Girl because she's the tiniest little thing. And um, I do photography. I love speaking to women and encouraging them to be all that God has created them to be And, and showing them how the broken places in their life can really be a blessing from God because it's sometimes, many times, a conduit leading them to
3: a place of ministry for themselves and for others. So, um, well, I love, I'm um, immediately from the time I met you at I think it was a blogging conference we met, yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. I ha- have been drawn to your accent, and <laughs> <laughs> maybe nobody else has told you that, but. Being from California, I don't get to hear very colorful accents at all. And I have this deep secret need to visit the Deep South. I love how you said you're from the Deep South because I think I need some education on what the difference is between the Deep South and the regular South. Is there a distinction? Or does it just matter how South it is?
2: Because Texas and Arkansas are also called the South. I never knew that. I didn't think that they were South. I thought they were Midwest. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was South also. Um, I always thought the south was Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. Got Even it. Florida is not really considered really south. south because northerners retire there. So, to me, south, uh, Florida is, is a northern state. <laughs> Isn't
3: that funny? Isn't that <laughs> but, great? Um,
2: deep, the deep south is like right here at the bottom around the Gulf of Mexico. And mm-hmm. I guess that does include Texas. but. Mm-hmm. um, I've just, I just grew up thinking it was Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. That's yeah. all there's to it. <laughs>
3: well, I've been to Atlanta, but I have this longing to go to Savannah where Paula Deen's restaurant is. I just I'll think cool her, do you all, like, is it a real thing where you are, like, you can have that kind of food wherever you are? Like, y'all eat that kind of food. What do you mean by that kind of like, food? Like, like <laughs> delicious, delicious comfort food. I, I just, oh, yeah. I yeah. It
2: every night. I and mean, I, like I am going to have tea. to come
3: over and visit you.
2: You please, I've got an extra bedroom. Come
3: anytime. Okay. I'm, I might take yours Seriously, you on
2: that. I fry okra. I make black eyed peas. Um, my ho- husband cannot stand the smell of collard greens or turnip greens in the house. So I cook them when he's gone and then put them in an airtight
3: container. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I grew up eating the greens because my mom's from Illinois and her parents grew up in Missouri. And so we, we ate collard greens and, you know, I think my mom put bacon in them or something like that. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. They're not healthy. I mean, no, they're they're not, Diane. But I think that's what makes everything taste so good. I don't know. I'm save bacon grease, and we put bacon grease. Yeah, in right. Well, my mom does that. She cooks eggs in bacon grease. It's delicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In California, it's just not the case. I mean, we y'all are we tofu just people, yeah. Aren't you? Do y'all eat tofu? Uh, you know, I to- don't really eat tofu. I have had tofu. I eat it in my Japanese miso soup. Do you know what that even is, Japanese I food? I do know what
2: that is, but I, <laughs> I, I didn't know people made it in their houses.
3: <laughs> well, uh, not that at restaurants. <laughs> uh, well, we do get it at restaurants, too. But um, I fried tofu. I went through a period where I was trying to eat tofu. But, you know, you just have to season it so much. It's just maybe I just am tofu mm-hmm. lame. I don't know. But, but, yeah, we don't have, you know, that kind of comfort food. And so I have this deep... Um, I have this deep magnetism toward the South and just all that it stands for, just the charm. And maybe it's how I've idealized it to be. Maybe it's not that when you visit it. But I just, I, anyway, your accent just warms my heart and I love it. So, so fun to talk to you. Well, many of us know from experience, Diane, that life doesn't always turn out as we'd planned and things happen, you know, unexpected circumstances or choices. And we end up landing right in the middle of some pretty thick mud. And sometimes even after that, our life settles into this new muddy normal and things stay a little murky and and mm-hmm. cloudy and not super clear. And so I know for you that has happened in your life. And I would be honored if you would take us back and share with us what happened in your life and where your mud really began.
2: Really, I think it began in my late teens. I fell in love with my high school sweetheart. He was a wonderful athlete, very gregarious. And I was just this little mouse in high school. I was not very popular. I was not well known. And um, the fact that someone so handsome and so popular would want to be with me just swept me off my feet. Mm -hmm. So I went and um, we got married almost About six months after high school and um, thought I had married the love of my life, um, had turned down a scholarship to a private college to get married. And um, Mm. several, you know, almost not even several months into the marriage, almost immediately into the marriage, I started realizing that there were there were places in his personality that were broken and were coming out with anger, and there was abuse in the first marriage. Not to the point that I ever went to the hospital, maybe some bruises from time to time. But um, so some domestic violence. There were some came. D- there was physical domestic violence as well as verbal. Yeah. And it always starts off with the verbal you know, when someone's going to mm-hmm. be abused, um, they cro- they cross the fence, they cross that boundary line mm-hmm. and then the next time it's easier to go right across that boundary line and hit the next boundary line. And it's it's an it increases. The yeah. violence will increase and it's cyclical and yeah, anyway, we got through all that and um I I didn't feel like I got a divorce. I felt like God rescued me mm-hmm. out of abuse and um the children had a lot of things to deal with as well, but I don't want to tell their story because right, it is, of course, it is their story.
3: Of course. So and, you, uh, you found yourself in a place where you were able to get out of the abusive relationship and yes. divorce was the answer to that. And, but you had two children.
2: Yes. They Te- were teenagers, preteens before, right when I left. Okay. And, um, I was a single mom for about six or seven years and um that's a whole That's story. hard. That's
3: mud of Woo. its own, isn't it? I've been that's a single a, yeah. parent too. So yeah. hard. Props to all the single parents out fine. there. Um, no, yeah. it's not. No. It's a lot of work and you can feel very alone. Wondering if
2: you're gonna be able to keep the roof over your head because, you know, usually with when a domestic marriage breaks up, finances are extremely difficult, which is usually why yes. a wife stays in it. Right. Because you can't afford a whole lot, but, you know, you just have to trust God and he provides, he'll lead you where he's going to provide for you. Right. And, um, and we had tried for a lot of years. It was just not going to get better. It was, it was not. And, um, so hard. So, but God, you know, the glory in it, and there's always a glory if you will just turn these things over to to Christ and you may not see it for years, mm-hmm. but you will see if you trust I see where I grew to know the Lord in ways I would have never Mm -hmm. met him in any other circumstance. I saw his faithfulness and his provision in ways I never knew. There was a time that I did not have the money to make a house payment or the insurance payment. I worked um, for a very small salary and um, worked for commission Mm -hmm. and it didn't happen that particular month. And, um, you know, I had been tithing, I'd been praying, and asking God, "Show me what to do here, because Your Word says You will not fail me." And I said, "And You're pushing it to the limit.
3: That's <laughs> looking good, God. It's not looking." Good. <laughs> you better come through. <laughs> you, said you could. I'm waiting here.
2: Oh. But um, it's funny. The day before everything was due, and the companies would be taking steps for delinquency, a check came in the mail from a house I had sold during the divorce the company had been audited and found that there was a significant amount of money that I had not been sent. And it was exactly what I needed to cover the house, cover insurance, put gas in my car and buy groceries for that week.
3: Isn't that amazing? God
2: is always faithful. And I have learned and I'll still panic at times, forget as though I had not learned this lesson. I still
3: panic (laughs) at times thinking, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, God, what are we going to do? Right? Like
2: Like he's just now catching up with the story
3: right like where the israelites you know just having been given manna but then not believing it's coming the next day yeah yeah you
2: know our brain leaks it really must leak but you know i'll remember that oh and see here's what i have learned in prayer with that when paul would pray when moses would pray when when the great patriarchs prayed they would pray in retrospect They would call back all the things that God had done for them because it helped build their faith before they went to the Lord and said, but today, Lord, because of all this, today I need, and I know you
3: will because of all Mm -hmm. this. And they gave thanks. I mean, they really recalled all of the God, what God had done, in an act of gratitude towards Him, and in a I, almost sort of reminding God, "Look, God, we're thankful for what you did. Don't you remember? <laughs> remember yeah. what you've done, God, and do it, do it again." And and He's faithful to do that. It builds our faith too. Remember, absolutely, He did make the house payment. Remember
2: the car didn't die in the middle of the interstate. Or if it did, God had put this godly person there to help us. You know, there's right. something that he reveals himself. And it's never the same each time because otherwise it would be a routine. And he is a God, he's a creative God. He's a God that's fresh and new every time.
3: Yeah, well, and I'd love to encourage anyone if they're dealing with, an abusive relationship, domestic violence, or anything like that, that, that there is hope that, that you can make it. And there is a way out. I know I had another guest on episode 36 talk about he, how she was able to um, move away from and leave her abusive relationship. And so, you know, it's our hope today, Diane, that if somebody is in that place, that they would know that that they can get free and that they can need to be safe. So I, I know that's both of our hearts for people. God can do t- one of two things.
2: He's either going to rescue from, or he's going to take you away and save it anyway. He can mm-hmm. save the marriage. He can change the person's heart, but he is, I don't believe with his beloved children that he's ever going to require you to stay in a place where you are being abused. No, that I is absolutely agree. Willful. That's correct. That's correct. I don't think, you know, I'm married, so I have to stay here. No, you can stay married, but
3: separate. Get away. Be safe, safe, especially with kids, too. Yeah. Yes. I don't care what they think. Take them with you. So as you moved forward, God provided in those years of being a single mom, and then you met someone. What happened?
2: It was a blind date. Um, A blind date. I love that. It was a blind date. A friend of mine, um, I had won a trip to cancun with someone and i wasn't married so i took my best friend she and i taught aerobics together
3: and um <laughs> did, she, you, know. did you wear those leg warmers in the headbands no that was oh. a little bit before my time okay
2: but, oh, <laughs> they're coming back in i saw some leg warmers in the store the other
3: day i know <laughs> sorry i digress <laughs> I you were you, you <laughs> took your aerobics friend um,
2: we went Our, to a, a cruise. Um, we went to Cancun and there were several of us that had won this trip. So, um but we went to Cancun the whole time she's um telling me about this doctor that she's just met. She had gotten sick right before we left and had to go have an x ray. And she was saying, He's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> she's more southern than I am. <laughs> she's deep deeper southern, huh? <laughs> she's deeper and she, she loves to talk her southern talk. <laughs> But she goes, Diane, he is a doctor. And I said, Yeah, I don't care. I had gone on a year, a one year fast that I would not date anybody. And I would spend that one year with God and God alone. Mm-hmm. I would not accept any invitations to anything. Mm-hmm. And it was coming up on the end of that year when my friend was telling me, Cynthia was telling me that I needed to meet this guy. And I thought, You know, I don't know. I haven't. You know, God hadn't signed up on it at the end of the year, but I don't know that it's over. I need need to pray about this because I did not want to mess up this fast. It was hard and it was a holy time. And I I wanted it to end well and end it in a a way that would glorify God. And at the end of it, we got home and um, I really felt like God was saying, I want you to meet this person. And so... She called him and because he had said, if she will go out with me, she had already told him all about me and told me all about him. She was ah, she was being and a matchmaker. <laughs> she was. She's so proud of herself for it being successful. Too. <laughs> you are I'm, never going to hear the end of that. <laughs> I don't. Let me tell you, every time it's our anniversary, she gets on my Facebook page and she says, congratulations to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that is so good.
2: We did meet. I um, I taught in aerobics class. Took a shower. Took a nice dress with me, and met him. I told him I had just a few minutes for coffee, and he said fine because I wanted a back door in case this was not right. Coffee is a safe first date, you know, and first I my meeting. I 30, thirty minutes. I could meet him for coffee. Right. We stayed there for about a, two and a half hours talking, oh, and my half goodness. went through it. He goes, "I thought you only had thirty minutes." I said,
3: "Well, things kind of changed." <laughs> you're like you're actually more charming than I had anticipated so here I still am
2: (laughs) I didn't want to to give him too much confidence I wanted to drag him on a little bit longer so I could figure out what he was all about right it was an immediate yes I like you perfect Um, we both had children you know it was the only guy I had ever met or dated that did have children so he got it it's like no I can't go out on the weeknights I've got I've got homework, I've got you know, a <laughs> school to take care of. I've got so things. he was a committed dad. He was a committed dad. And that's the other thing that I found very attractive is that he was so devoted to his children the same way I was devoted to my children. And so we understood that, that we couldn't go out a lot. So, so many of our dates were just phone conversations until mm-hmm. the early hours.
3: Yeah.
2: So, and that was good because it really gave us a chance to, um, to get to know each other without... Um, anything
3: else coming in the way well you were becoming good friends and that's the foundation of any real good marriage relationship yeah
2: and and we got to know each other deeply we got to really you know after you talk to each other on the phone for so long then you start really opening up and taking off the masks yes and revealing who you are and and that i don't know that that would have happened as thoroughly if we had had face-to-face dates right so you got married we got married It was a family wedding. We
3: had maybe 50 people there total. Um, Was it hard to decide to get remarried? I mean, you had kids. He had kids. I'm guessing it wasn't a very simple decision. It had a lot of ramifications. Yes? I think he and I
2: both knew after a few months of dating that that's where we wanted to be. But it took us two years of dating. And, you know, when you're in your 40s, two years seems like a
3: a lot longer because you realize the end of the road comes before long. (laughs) Right. Well, I think once we pass 40, we start realizing that um, optimism, that life is all in front of me. You start realizing life isn't exactly all in front of me. Like I have quite a bit of life behind me, and uh, maybe there's just as much behind me as is left in front of me. It's kind of a awakening time, I think. At least for me, it has been. So you know, like, it's just a little shift in perspective. Not like you're fatalistic and think you're dying tomorrow, but
2: no. But you, you're. Yeah. you're um, I think your clarity of your mor-
3: mortality becomes in view. Yeah, is absolutely um, much more keen. Yes. Yes. So, 2 years, yeah, a long time. But I'm sure an adjusting time for you both and for the kids maybe. It was. It
2: gave us time to get to know the children, let them know us. And um no, it wasn't an easy decision. My children, I mean, he must have been horrified. My children were teenagers. Who wants to marry a woman with two teenagers? <laughs> and um his children were easier at first, but then again, we had to go through teenage years the second time. And my one of my favorite expressions to them is Don't think you can get away with this This is not my first rodeo
3: (laughs) (laughs) I have been down this road before Yeah, I have practice
2: Yes, I know what to look for When there is mud on your car I know you did not go to the mall Right
3: especially when you live in Alabama. Yeah. Oh goodness. Can you speak a little bit to that dating process and um having the decision of introducing yourselves to one another's children and just all of that. I know there are a lot of people who maybe are divorced or single parents who are really navigating that mud, so to speak, of how to accomplish that in a healthy way. Do you have any short tips for them on that topic?
2: You mean during the dating
3: years? Yeah, during the dating years, because it must be hard to know whether to introduce someone you're dating to your children or if it's the right timing or how that whole process works.
2: I kept my children away from anyone I dated, except when I felt like they were a safe person. Actually, um, my children only met two people. And and it's not like I dated that much, but I dated a couple of different people and only two did they ever meet and um the first one they met and it was like a they were immediately no no you're not and there there was not it was just their and you know maybe it was the first one maybe it was their their input yeah but when they both met joseph it was it was yes they knew Mm. there was something about him that was comforting to them but um we did take our time um we never disciplined or rebuked each other's children, and um rarely do it now, yeah, even after this many years, because we wanted the positive relationship to be the dominant part of our relationship with them, right in other words, I wouldn't spank or put them in time out. I would go to him and say, "This is the issue, this is their response um would you please
3: talk to them Mm-hmm. so key.
2: He would do the same with my children.
3: And this isn't just when you were dating. This was after you were married.
2: Well, at at times I had his children with me while we were dating and he wasn't around. And that was the rule then, too. Yeah. We just found positive reinforcement at all times. Yeah.
3: And it didn't always work out well, but in the long run, it did. But it was important to keep that in mind and that be the standard by which you acted. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
2: And we try to approach it as this is not your new mom or dad. They can later embrace that. But at the moment, we we embraced it as view them as your school teacher, as your aunt, as the your friend's mother, your friend's mother. Give them the respect that you would give those people in your life. Right. They don't, you don't have to say mom or, I mean, they, to this day, they don't call me mom. They, they used to be Miss Diane. Now they call me just Diane. Yeah, um, but they have always just given me respect was demanded, um, but it was gently demanded of, you know, that you probably have better words than that or you probably have a better idea than that and just would encourage them to try to find the words that were more positive as we tried to do the same for them.
3: Right. Well, and it's less about demanding their respect toward you and more about earning their respect for you. You, know, you can what, demand it all day long. It's not going to happen. Exactly. So what you're describing is you decided that you would use positive reinforcement with your stepchildren and treat them with respect because that would ha- have them innately want to desire to respect you back. Right. Yeah. Which, Diane, let's not be kidding ourselves. That is difficult. <laughs>
2: That Control is difficult. is an illusion. Yeah. Control is truly an illusion. And if you think for one minute that you can discipline them and make demands and they may follow it, but they're not going to have it in their heart. It's in just their heart. Be yeah. A mechanical ro- robotic movement for them. Right. Right. What you want is that relationship. Mm-hmm. Who is it um, who says rules without relationship breeds
3: rebellion? Oh, Josh McDowell. Yes.
2: Yes. Thanks. Josh McDowell, yes. Josh rules about
3: relationship breed rebellion, yes.
2: And I, I can testify to that. It's true.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so you don't start off with the rules. You start off with a relationship. And there would be times that we, we call it the happy hooky day where I would let them play hookie from school one day. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be a time for us to go shopping. We would go and instead of eating lunch, we would have dessert I mean, we'd just break all the rules. Yeah. Just one day of, and that would help me. I did that with my children, and I
3: did that with my stepchildren. It's a happy hooky day. (laughs) A happy hooky day. I might have to have myself some happy hooky days. (laughs) Sounds like a delight. Sounds delightful. I think not only kids need that. (laughs) I think adults need that, Diane. I think you're prescribing something for me for sure. Oh. Happy hooky day. That is a fun day. (laughs) Love it. I love it. So you n- describe these kinds of ways of relating to the children, not only in the dating years, but in the years that you were subsequently married and raising them. I want to talk about that day you got married, though, because I love how you described that that thing that your daughter whispered to you that day and how sometimes when we're getting remarried as adults, it's an exciting day. It's a day that's that we've been waiting for to come and we've been laying all this groundwork and building relationship with our kids and his kids and, you know, family dynamics changing in anticipation of a new marriage relationship. And so we're excited. But for kids, sometimes that day of remarriage and the days and weeks subsequent to that is really a grieving of what they're losing. Um, and, and sometimes kids are more focused on that instead of excitement of what they're gaining. Can you tell us a little bit about that wedding day and and a little bit about the topic of grieving what's lost and helping our kids through that, even though we're excited for getting remarried?
2: You know, I looked up one time what the definition of step is like, why do we call ourselves step family? Why do we call step mom and step dad? What is step Um, It's an old English term. It comes from a sequence of of names where it says it, it comes from grieving. A step is someone who grieves, who mourns, who's gone through a loss. So you walk into a step family with a loss. And so there's something missing. There's a grieving. There's been a death. Their family, their family of birth has died,
3: and what do you think it is about remarriage that brings that more to light than just the ending, like a divorce? It's, it's
2: the elimination of all hope that your family will get back together. I mean, even yeah. even to this day, his children and my children, if you really got them into a tender place and they would open up the very deepest part of their heart. Mm-hmm. Even as grown adults, they would say, I wish my family could get back together again. Yeah. It's not that they don't want me and my children don't want him. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I think when there is a death that you grieve it someplace in your heart for the rest of your life. Even if like with my children, they knew it was an unhealthy marriage. They knew we did not need to be together and that we all needed to be away, but they still grieve the loss of their birth family. Yeah and i think you know you go into a step family behind you go into a step family with not only issues from your previous marriage but you go in with children who are broken and who are grieving and i know we got married and um everybody walked out of the church and you know the husband and wife walk out together and that we had my daughter and his daughter as bridesmaids and my son and his son as groomsmen and ring bearer and um we walked out of church, and I hugged my husband. It's like, yay, husband. <laughs> <laughs> We're married. <laughs> and I turned around, and my daughter was standing at the door just shaking. Mm-hmm. I could just tell she was about to bust out crying. Mm-hmm. She's probably about 17, 16 or 17 there. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to her, and I put my arms around her, and she just she melts in my arms. And so hard. She's crying into my neck. And she said, I'm so scared. I'm going to lose you. And I, you know, even there, people are coming out of the church and I'm holding her and I just have to keep telling her, you haven't lost me. I've made us stronger. This is, you know, Yeah. I, I will be stronger with him. That means I'm stronger with you and I can provide more for you because there's two of us working together now. I said, you haven't lost, you've gained But it's hard to realize that at first. It's, you know, it took us getting way down the road after the marriage for my daughter to start realizing, yeah, he's the best thing that ever happened to us as a family. If we're going to be a divorced family, he's the best thing that ever happened to us.
3: Well, and sometimes not only kids, but even extended family members have a hard time seeing that at first. It takes Mm -hmm. time, don't you think? It takes years. It does. And it may never
2: happen. Yeah. Um, It may may, never happen. The step person, whether it's Mm -hmm. the husband or the wife, they may never fully be accepted by the other family. And here's the thing. You can wear yourself out trying to please everybody. And that's got to stop.
3: Oh, that's so good you say that. Because many of us have tried that. Yeah. It doesn't work.
2: It doesn't work. And Mm -mm. if they've made up their mind, there's only God can change that. Right. But here's here's where you have the advantage. If they see that the children are clean and they're well fed and they're laughing and that you are sacrificing to make their lives better.
3: If nothing else, they're going to admire you. Yeah, Well, and they'll think they'll see the connection in relationship that you're creating and it will, you know, you're aiming to have a rich, deep relationship with each member of your new family. You know, it's a melding, a melding of a new unit, you know, Yeah, yeah, and
2: not all parts meld together well.
3: Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So (laughs) I'm glad you brought that up, Miss Diane, because everybody that's listening to you who's been there is saying the same exact thing. There's always going to be one, isn't there? Yeah. There's going to
2: be that one who is not going to go with the plan. (laughs) Right?
3: I know. What is it about that? I think it humbles us and grows us, right?
2: Those really and truly, I hate to say this, but as they get older, there is going to be this with most people I know that are, you know, have grown up in a step family or have stepchildren, there is with the one who does not go along with the plan, there is a point that there's going to be a huge explosion, mm-hmm. and there there's going to be this knockdown drag out. Everything gets put on the table, and there is some sort of healing in the explosion. I can't tell you. Yeah. You don't think that a fight would ever make anything better? But if you're handling yourself as a mature person and you're letting your words be that of Christ, I mean, you don't have to take it. You don't have to be a doormat. You can tell them, you know, you're acting like a spoiled brat. Yeah. You know, and I have done that. My stepdaughter and I have had a knockdown, dragout, explosion, and all the infection and gross stuff was put on the table. And it was just the two of us in the car together. And I'm surprised we didn't wreck. honestly. (laughs) It was, I mean, it was a intense knock-down-drag-out verbal discussion. But from that point on, she got to say everything she was holding back on. She put it on the table. I got to say everything I had held back on. My husband wasn't there to referee it. We got to say it to each other. Yeah. And then there was this awkward quiet for the longest time. We were on like a four-hour road trip. And then The next conversation was a little sweeter and -hmm. then a little sweeter. And it just because she had seen through all the years, I have sacrificed for you. I have been there for you. I dropped everything I was doing to run, bring you your homework at school or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And we have to do it not to the child, not to our spouse, even though he is my husband is is my motivation for wanting to do that for her because I love him. I want to show her love. But we have to do it as unto the Lord. I'm not doing this for y'all. I'm doing this because this is the person Christ has called me to be. Right. Let me tell you something. No woman ever, as a little girl, dreamed of being the stepmother. The stepmother <laughs> is evil and wicked. And right. You
3: know, yeah. So hard.
2: her. <laughs> right. We all want to grow up and be the princess. But the stepmother can be the princess. Yeah. But... It is not to her husband, and it's not with the children. It's to the Father
3: in heaven. We are the daughter of the Most High King. That's right. That's right. And we love because He has loved first. Yeah, and we show that. Yeah, I love what you're talking about, about an explosion, because I think it can apply to not only relationships and step families, but also just relationships in general. Because sometimes when you go through that conflict and you go through that difficulty, things can really be sweeter on the other side. It reminds me of bones that get broken and they start to heal incorrectly. Sometimes they have to go in and re-break and get it Mm -hmm. set clean, so that it will reattach healthier and more strong. And, you know, I I just that word picture reminds me of this explosion you're talking about, you know, there had there had been some, some unhealthy assumptions, some unhealthy interactions, and, you know, unrealistic expectations. And when you dare to have a conversation that might seem to be explosive. It really is breaking those old connections and reattaching in a healthy way. And um, I love that you talked about that.
2: Here's what I always thought. I thought becoming a mature adult happened kind of like going through puberty. (laughs) You just wake up one morning and things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I really thought that that's how maturity happened. But I've come to realize that maturity is is discipline. Yeah. It is knowing how to put others first, not begrudgingly, but with joy. Jesus went to the cross with joy. It was his passion to finish it all the way to the cross. We need to discipline ourselves and learn to take on the joy of serving. And that's not always easy. And there, heaven knows, I've had meltdowns in the bathroom, gone <laughs> in the shower and had just a crying fit because I couldn't have my way as a stepmom. I want to be the queen. I want to be served. I want to be, I want loyal yeah. subjects. I, if I tell you to go take the garbage out, by golly, go do it now. <laughs> right. Yesterday. <laughs> yes. But it, you know, that's not it. Right. The, the later means you are the greatest servant
3: of all. Hmm. And that is not fun. I mean, especially when you find yourself in a new marriage trying to meld all these different personalities and backgrounds together. Your illusion of control is that it's an illusion and the only person That's you it. can control is yourself, right? So what you're describing is and that, that's hard to do. By. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> describing I that. Even do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> you're describing killing selfishness in our heart and desiring to lay down what we desire and instead take up an attitude of servanthood. But Diane, talk to us about how that can be accomplished. I mean, you went into a remarriage with some teenagers and with some younger, I think, elementary children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um. You know, talk to us a little bit about that stepmom, that stepdad in the throes of everyday life right now, who really is trying to just get the garbage taken out and go to work and get the homework done and get everybody to get along and whose territory is whose and how how everything works with visitation and all of that, you know. Describe for us how you maneuvered some of those challenges and some examples of how you really were required to lay down your desires and really learn to be the grown up in the situation, even though you weren't, you know, treated well or or you weren't feeling the love at the moment, you know, so hard.
2: You know, I think that's the biggest thing that so many of us miss learning is that marriage is a contract contract. We are in love, we have emotions, but it is a legal contract. And when the emotions and the happy, happy joy feelings are gone, it's still a legal document. And you have to figure out, sometimes you have to look at your marriage like an LLC. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you do. In, In that, okay, I'm not happy going to work every day. I don't like it. Nobody appreciates the work I do. But what can I do to make this business successful so that it does bear good fruit? Mm-hmm. And um, and there were several years that um, Joseph and I really went through the mechanics of a marriage because we had signed a contract and we were going to try to fulfill our obligation. Our, you made a our choice. Obligation.
3: You made, you a, made choice a choice to stay to and a choice to love, even and, when uh,
2: even uh, when you didn't feel like doing it or even when it didn't look like I was doing it I was trying (laughs) but part of it was I am not a morning person but making sure that they had a good breakfast every day was important to Joseph so every morning I got up before everybody else and started bacon eggs and biscuits every single morning
3: Diane eggs and bacon and biscuits every day every day
2: every stinking
3: day <laughs> diane if i live in the south does that mean i would have to do that every day because in california no, we don't do that
2: now it... here's the sad part i didn't do it with my children and i really regret that i gave my stepchildren such a gift that i didn't even give my own children but mm. in retrospect i was a single mom i had to get up and get going to work every day but I could have gotten up a little bit earlier and yeah. done something for well,
3: them. Well, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's it. <laughs> no that's condemnation it. for those who are in Christ. That's right. That's right. Um, wow. What a gift. That is daily sacrifice right there. That's
2: their daily sacrifice. And um, I would make their beds. And towards the teenage years, it's like, you know what? You make your bed at camp, but you can you don't do it at home. By golly, I'm not making your bed anymore. I know you can. <laughs> Your camp, camp, your camp counselor said it was your job to make your bed every day. I'm done. Oh. <laughs> and there's a place for that. But it, it does come down to one of the mature things that you do is consider others more important than yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say, like with the abusive marriage, that's not to say you, can be a, you need to be a doormat. No way. But it says that because Christ puts me first, I can put others first. He loved me more than he loved his life. I can give my life to children who don't have the maturity and don't, they, they're children. Mm -hmm. I can give of myself to ensure that they have a good foundation.
3: Well, really what I'm hearing you describe is really your service was not... For the children, your service was for God, because I think that's an important distinguishing characteristic, because if we are serving in ways like making breakfast or making beds or any other nice things we choose to do, um, if we expect them to thank us or we expect to be treated in a loving way because of how we serve, we're going to get dashed hopes really quick, Yeah, you know, but if we're doing it because God loved us and we're choosing to love others and we don't attach any expectation to it, then any love we receive from the service is above and beyond anything that we expect
0: to receive back.
3: Right. And that's what you're saying. Yes. And if you go into it
2: expecting to be loved and adored and thanked for all the good things you're you're doing. Number one. If that's what you need, you, it will never be enough. Mm-hmm. You will always be disappointed. But if you do it because this is who God has created you to be, this is who you are in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. then your reward has nothing to do with their response. That's right. You're
3: doing it for God. And their response is between them and God. Right. But we have to spend time with God reading his word, right, and oh, yeah. get letting his word get into us because it, it can seem like we're trying to do it for God, but we still are finding ourselves, you know, if you find yourself angry or disappointed or frustrated by the way your service isn't making the impact that you desire for it to, it's really a time to check. Our motives and see, okay, well, maybe I'm more attached to that expectation than I really still mm-hmm. realize. And so the anecdote for that, wouldn't you say, is spending time reading God's Word and praying and giving thanks for what we do have instead of wishing for what we don't have.
2: Yes, and learning to apply what you read and study to your everyday life. I think sometimes we go to Bible studies and we learn and learn and learn, yet we're having such frustration Mm -hmm. And the joy is not there. And it's because we are not applying it to our everyday life.
3: Yeah. Okay. So adjusting expectations as we serve is super important. And then applying God's word to that as we learn to grow and become more like Christ.
2: Yes. Jeremiah 119 says, they will fight against you, but you will not be overcome. For I am with you and I will rescue you. I had to remind myself that. I had to quote that when they were fighting me and nothing was going my way and I did not have my happy shoes on. <laughs> I, <had to> re- <laughs> I need some happy shoes to go dancing. If you don't have your happy shoes on, it's not happening. Oh. And God's word is those happy, you know, that is the happy shoes. Yeah. But they'll fight against you, but they will not overcome you. In your flesh, yes, they're going to destroy you. That's mm-hmm. their goal. Teenagers want to destroy you. <laughs>
3: Did, Why do that, you it? think that is, Miss Diane? Why do you think because they're just trying they to find their own? Out, right?
2: They finally figured out that they have an op- opinion, yeah. and though they don't have the life experience to fine tune that opinion, mm-hmm. they all of a sudden their brain wakes up and says, "Oh, I know what I think about that," and they're going to blurt it out, and they're a bull in a china cabinet.
3: Totally.
2: totally. And we have to help them realize that's a great opinion. Now, how should you better? Handle that so that you can have the success that you want. God's word says the anger of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. And if you're going to get angry and blow up and lose it all the time, you will never see the victory that you're asking God for. Your anger is not the conduit to get you where you're going. It's the joy of the Lord that will be your
3: strength. Correct. That's the anger of man. Right. Right. And joy comes from giving thanks and for uh, laying down our selfishness. To serve it
2: comes from servitude. Yeah, servitude. And servitude, not for gratitude, but servitude for giving God glory.
3: Right. So what you're describing is even when you get resistance, like let's get real practical. You've got your stepchildren there, you've got your birth children there, and there are all kinds of opinions flying. How do you in the midst of that as a step parent not insist on demanding your place or even maneuvering the discipline issues because I know there's got to be a lot of people out there who are dealing with not only in step families but in regular families punishments and disciplines and how we work that in the whole scenario so can you talk a little bit more about that
2: yeah it's you know it it's situational a lot of times I know um but I remember one time um my stepdaughter being you know a teenager and having an opinion. had done something differently than she should have. And it was a bad time. I was having company. I couldn't find her when I picked her up from school. She had decided, made a unilateral decision to go off to this other place. And I did not know it. And, um, you know, it was just like, I don't have time for this. So frustration's building. (laughs) Yeah. I finally found her. I brought her home. I said, you know what? I've got to finish cooking. We've got people coming over here and da, 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 da. I said, here's a rag and some Windex. Go wash the baseboards. And, you know, just wipe everything down so the room smells good. So she's wiping the baseboards down. And I hear her, her little voice in the background going, Cinderella, Cinderella. <laughs> Cinderella.
3: <laughs> because I'm the wicked stepmother. Jesus. Oh, no, that is, you know, Diane, That that's really brilliant. Let's just stop a moment. <laughs> she she didn't argue with you and tell you, you're so lame. She didn't cuss you out or anything. She's just over there cleaning her baseboards, singing a little Cinderella. <laughs>
2: No, and she, and I couldn't help but get tickled. And, you know, I finally just kind of uh, cut the thing short. And I said, come on in here. She hadn't had a snack after school. I mean, it had been, it had been a bad afternoon. Yeah. Um, we were both not happy with each other. But she had gone ahead and wiped it down. For all I know, you know, I don't think she did. But, I mean, for all I know, she spit on the baseboards and wiped them down. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she probably made it worse than just to get even. She probably had some. She uh, may not have. But I brought her in there, and I <laughs> gave her some chips and salsa. I said, so really, Cinderella, <laughs> she, she got kind of a half smirk on her face and she kept her head down. She was continuing to uh, eat chips and salsa. And I said, you know, just, just let me know. I said, I'll work with any, you any way I can. I said, I just need information so I can honor what you and your parents have decided because she had cleared it with her parents. But, you know, I'm the stepmom. Nobody informed me. Got even it. I was the one picking her up that day. Right. And it was just, it was a miscommunication. It's just one of those days where the ball got dropped. But (laughs) I was having company. I'm cleaning the house. I'm cooking. It's just not a good time to drop the ball. (laughs) And that's when it always happens. But I just, you know, I explained to her then, I will do whatever you need me to do. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Just, you know, keep me in the loop. And she nodded her head. She got it. Yeah. She got it. But not everything turned out. That was a good example, but not Sometimes it was days before we would speak to each other because there was a conflict of interest.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm imagining there's an ebb and a flow. I mean, that's a situation where you actually chose respectful words you wanted to pursue communication to hear her voice and her side and she was willing to hear yours and really you know instead of demanding your place and yelling and berating and using your age and authority to speak down and demand your place you really earned your place by your your self-controlled actions you know I know that was, like you said, a good example, but I think it's an example that we can all take from because demanding our place in any situation, whether it's our workplace, our marriage, our friendships, whatever, it just really backfires opposite of what we intend.
2: Christ never demanded his own way. He put people, he, I mean, he told people all about themselves. He'll say, You Pharisee, you snake in the grass. But and, you know, if I were to counsel Jesus, I'd probably say, no name calling, snake in the grass, you probably don't need a name call. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that was his choice, and he found that to be the best answer at that time. But with stepchildren, name calling, you know, you're acting stupid. You're acting like, you know, no name calling.
3: Yeah, State no name fa- calling. Okay. Making
2: truth. Your behavior was inappropriate mm-hmm. because yada, yada, yada. Could we please, you know, and just make it as simple mm-hmm. and as factual, take emotion out
3: because the emotion at that point is not your friend and don't you think tone of voice really matters when it comes to that too you could talk real high-pitched and say the same thing as you say in a very low matter-of-fact tone and it's really received differently i think
2: it is my children told me i was much more intimidating when i was monotone than when i had a shrieking squeal um going on that the monotone meant okay she's in control and we're not anymore
3: right Right, exactly. And I think all of us as parents, no matter what age our kids are, you know, step step family or not, really can do better. I know I can do better at my tone. And I think, too, giving kids a choice, you know, mm-hmm. you, you sat her over at the table and you gave her a snack and and you opened an invitation to have a conversation with and it was her choice. It wasn't like you insisted on a conversation or you insisted on one thing or another. And I think, you know, when my kids were little, I had some really good advice, you know, I'd want them to put their shoes on, but they didn't want to put their shoes on. And it was so maddening. And I just needed to go I needed them Mm -hmm. to put their shoes on. And um, I, I think I read, I think it was Cynthia Tobias and her strong willed Uh, children books Uh, she said you know if you pin us to the corner and try to give us a a ultimatum as strong-willed people we are never going to give you your way and we Mm -hmm. will win you know but she said if you give us even a single choice like would you like to put your shoes on by the door or over on the step You know, it's still not a choice whether to put your shoe on, but suddenly you've given somebody the power to choose and they feel like they have control over what they can have control over. And I think that is what I hear you saying you did with not only your kids, but your stepkids too, because that shows respect. I respect you enough to give you a choice within a certain parameter to make a decision.
2: Yeah. Um, Giving them control. And that's the whole part. I mean, even when we... We all have broken places. We all have wounds. Even, you know, at this point in my life, there are places that God is still healing in me. And I'm mm-hmm. assuming he'll heal them until he takes me home. But part of the healing process when you do counseling is getting that person to choose the right answer. Not telling them the right answer. Right. Not giving them.
3: Leading the, them to the right answer.
2: Because I truly believe
3: That in every single one of us,
2: God has equipped us. The word of God in Ephesians says he has equipped us for what we have to do. And I think with every problem, there is an answer in us somewhere. But what we really need is that good friend. And sometimes it's a life coach or a counselor. But someone who will ask us questions and listen to us long enough that we finally found the answer in us. And when you discover it yourself and then you choose it it's yours no one has to make you do it that is yours yeah and it's the same thing with our children we ask them questions we don't give them as many answers as we give them questions so that the questions lead them to the place
3: that will take them to who they they were created to be yeah that's so good talk to me a little bit about this uh, you know, we're talking about leading them to a place where they would need to go. And partly we do that by controlling our emotions, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about tone mm-hmm. and how we respond in situations. Tell us how not being in control and really giving into those emotions makes us more like a thermometer than the thermostat.
2: My husband came up with that phrase of be the thermostat, not the thermometer. The thermometer registers the temperature in the room, but the thermostat sets the temperature of the room, and so, as the mature adults are the ones who are trying to discipline and train themselves to be mature adults, um, you have to decide how you 're going to set the tone. I really think that the less said, the better is they read body language totally much more quickly than they hear your words, and you walk in and you have mm-hmm. calmness in your mannerisms, mm-hmm. um, your tone of voice is steady. There's no, your personal agenda and emotions are in check, mm-hmm. stored them away. Yeah. And I, I almost feel mechanical when I get to that point and it's horrible. And, you know, usually I will lose it before I bring it back into check again, or I'll get close to <laughs> Going where I don't
3: want to be. Oh, you're not alone. Mercy. You're not alone. Oh, have yeah. mercy. And it's a journey. It's a it's small incremental progress, not perfection.
2: No, but it's, it's losing it and then, okay, now how am I going to pull this back together? And it's taking a breath. And frequently it's me being quiet mm-hmm. for two reasons. Number one, to listen to the Lord about how to handle this. And number two, there's a place that says in Ecclesiastes, the more words, the less the meaning. And mm-hmm. how does it profit anyone? Yeah. I think if we continue jabber jabber, they turn the words off. Yeah.
1: They're
2: in, they're back at school playing, doing yeah. something. They don't even hear you anymore. So it is your presence. It's the body language that you say. It's the tone of voice you have. And just turn off the emotions. Just handle it mechanically yeah. and you will find that you're much more
3: successful. And to ask God to help you, I think kids, any kids, any age, especially adolescents, they have this really, really acute fraud meter and they can sense a fake a mile away if they think we're trying to make it up and we're not real and we're not really trying and they think we have a hidden agenda or motive. They sense that so fast and they are just going to shut you right on off or expose you or expose you, call you out for sure. Yep. And so I think, again, that's where, you know, just praying, just being being in an attitude of quiet prayer and communication with God all day long for him to really sincerely make you into who you who he wants you to be and who you want to be, because kids are going to see that even if we mess up, they're going to see that we're really authentically trying and that we really yes. do love them. Right.
2: Right. And, yeah. um, and that creates a loyalty. Being able to apologize, I've messed up. I should not have said that. I'm right. sorry. Can we, can we try this again?
3: Mm-hmm. That humility, yes. That
2: humility
3: creates loyalty. Yes. And I sense you probably did your fair share of laughter with them, too. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, hooky day and all.
2: Hookie day. And
3: we would, you
2: know, waiting in the doctor's office is a great time to bond with the children, I remember they had a little like a Lego ball that would expand and contract. And, you know, sometimes you're waiting in the physician's office for, what, 30 minutes after you've been called back and you're still right. in the room? Yeah. And we would take one toy and pass it around the room. You had to think up one thing you could do with that. And, you know, it's a hat, it's a dress, it's my nose, it's, you know, whatever. And we would pass it around constantly. Think of what that is. Right. Yeah. You know, fun every use everything you've got quote movies in the middle of a thing quote a movie that they like watch the movies with them find the quotes because that somehow quoting a movie that they like is a bonding agent yeah i don't
3: understand well you're engaging in their world you're hip and cool yeah yeah
2: i could quote little mermaid i can sing every song (laughs) that was the big thing back then and it's um i'd hand them their fork and i said here's your dinglehopper (laughs) you know just knowing little things like that and catching them off guard with little quotes but it's it's a lot of work and you need to get your sleep and you need to get your exercise and you need to eat healthy food cut out the carbs i mean carbs are good but you need healthy carbs you've got to keep physically fit because it's it's a job
3: it really is especially when you're eating all that fun southern food
2: (laughs) you know after a big day of that it's like big old plate of macaroni and cheese (laughs)
3: right exactly oh well Diane it has been such a joy to talk to you and I mean that from the bottom of my heart just so fun to hear your perspective and your wisdom I think I could talk to you all day I would love for everyone to know where to find you online and how to read more of your beautiful writing and insights. And can you tell us a little bit about where to find you online and then a little bit about your life coaching that you do and about your ebook?
2: Um I've got an ebook out. It's called 30 Days to a Better Step Family. And it's basically a 30 day devotional for step families. You can find me at Diane W. Bailey, B as in boy, A I L E Y, dianwbailey.net. I blog there. I also have a page for life coaching. I life coach parenting skills, I life coach relationships, and learning how to turn brokenness over to God so that just like a grain of sand is in a pearl, that your life, your sorrow, your broken place
3: becomes something of great value. Mm-hmm. Explain to everybody just really quick what the difference is between counseling and life coaching.
2: Counseling tells you what to do. Life coaching is kind of what like, takes you from where you are to where you want to be. A life coach is a bridge and what a life coach does is it begins to ask you questions that help you move forward to get to that place you want to be a a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. It's the bridge. A life coach is a bridge that helps you get to where you want to go.
3: Right. So less about exploring and uncovering the past and issues of the past and more about goals and things to move forward to in the future. Yes.
2: Yes. Um, Your past helps make who you are, but that's not going to take you so much where you want to go. It's using what you've learned from the past, applying it to your now and moving forward.
3: Awesome. Well, I'm sure if anybody's interested in that, they can go to your site and connect with you there. I will have links to all of this in the show notes of this episode. And Diane, again, thank you so much for sharing the wisdom and insight of all of that you've learned. I know there's so much more. Um, your children are all adults now, yes? Yes. 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 And so you can say with... And most of them are off the payroll. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and I love that about uh, your story because you have not only lived in it and through it, but you have come out the other side. And I'm sure there's still interactions and things to maneuver, but... You know, you have been able to see the beauty that God's brought from these muddy places and um, are willing to help others in, in and through their mud. And I'm just so appreciative of you for offering that to the world, especially through your ebook.
2: That's what our broken places are supposed to do. It's supposed to help light the path to help others find Christ in their broken places.
3: That's right. That's right. And you are doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, have a great day. Enjoy some Southern food for me. I will. Come see me. (laughs) I will. I have to. I love it. All right, Diane. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Bye. So, y'all, that is it for this episode. And isn't it so fun to say, y'all? I just love the South. In fact... I'm thinking of all of you listening right now, and I so wish I could meet all of you. And I'm thinking it would be fun to sit down and eat some Southern cooking together. And maybe that would be some chicken, white gravy with mashed potatoes, maybe some yeast rolls, some sweet iced tea. I don't know, maybe some banana pudding too. You know, that kind with the vanilla wafers on the top. Or I've had one with, I think they put like, crumbs on the top and then they bake it. It gets kind of crispy on the top. I don't know what they do, but whatever they do, it is amazing. Anyway, um, as usual, you can find all the show notes to this episode over at JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 45. And I will have all the links to Diane's you know, contact information, her ebook, her website. And she really is a beautiful writer. I would love for you to go and, you know, encourage her at her site and pick up her ebook if you want. I know that she offered so many actionable tips today. If you are a parent, I hope you got so much out of it. I know talking to her, I was reminded of a lot of things and just really encouraged by her words and her wisdom. So Don't forget, you can get an audiobook today if you want to sign up for a 30-day free trial at no cost to you. All you have to do is go to mudstoriesbook.com and you can have a new free audiobook today. Also, don't forget, if you have not downloaded the app for this podcast, I want you to know it's free. All you have to do is go to your app store and search Mud Stories and you will find it. It's for Apple or Android devices. So I hope that blesses you. I think it's an easy way for you to not miss any episodes. And I'd love to continue to share Mud Stories with you on whatever mobile device you have. And so I just hope it blesses you. And so today, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you've been or what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day.
1: Never in you, mother feels a press upon my mind, a pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the plane, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me, you lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul As you lift me out of my muddy hole You wash me up with your sweet grace And you lead me to a safer place again A never-ending mother feels a press upon That leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the plane And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you leave Sweet grace, and you lead me to a safer place. You overwhelm my broken thoughts, and you mend my lost and damaged heart. I find myself where I belong in your safe embrace. As a grateful song to sing, a grateful song to sing, a grateful so...